So when I talk to my neighbors, when I talk to other parents at the playground, when I talk to people at the coffee shop, or when I talk to my teammates on my running club, you know, when, um, when the topic of God or religion comes up, it's not uncommon for uh, people to tell me their stories of how they walked away from God. And often it's people walk away from God because of disappointment. They experience what they felt was disappointment in God. He wasn't there for them when they needed him. And it may be that something horrific happened in their life that shattered any faith they had in God, or maybe they lost someone they loved, they experienced abuse. There's all sorts of stories. They're endless of why we can become disappointed and disillusioned and heartbroken. I think of Ted Turner, uh, the billionaire owner of TBS and CNN and formerly of the, he owned the Atlanta Braves. Um, he's an outspoken atheist. And, uh, but the story of his life is that he actually grew up in church. And he was a good church kid growing up. Went to vacation Bible school like our kids did this week. And he actually at one point in his life wanted to be a missionary. But when he was 15 years old, his sister died a painful death of lupus. And then just a few months later, his father, brokenhearted, over his daughter's death, committed suicide. And so in the span of just a few months, Ted Turner lost his sister and his father. And Turner said, he said, if God could allow something like that to happen, then I want nothing to do with God. He was disappointed with God. There are others who didn't necessarily leave their faith when disappointment came their way, but their faith was certainly rattled. And that might be you today. You, you haven't walked away from faith, but your faith feels rattled right now. It feels shaken. C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, if you've been to our church for any length of time, if you're new here, come a few weeks, you're going to find out. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. C.S. Lewis is a great author, but he was also a great defender of the faith. And when his wife passed away, he actually wrote a book on grief called A Grief Observed. And he actually had to use a pseudonym when he first published it because his publishers thought, whoa, whoa this is way too raw. We can't let people know you wrote this. Uh, because the way you're talking about God, we don't, need, people, we don't need people to think that you're being irreverent or that you've backslidden in any way. In fact, uh, years ago at a previous church where I was a pastor, I recommended this book during a sermon. And a couple weeks later, an old lady came up to me and she said, Pastor Will, I read that book, A Grief Observed. Are you sure that C.S. Lewis was a Christian? Because he, it's raw. He talked about the pain he felt after his wife died, he was disappointed with God in that season. And my heart goes out to people with stories like that. I mean, I can't imagine the pain that many people have experienced in their life. And this might be you this afternoon. You feel like God has let you down. And quite frankly, you're just disappointed with God. And you wonder where he was and why he wasn't there and why he didn't stop the pain that you're experiencing. And we all know that the last two years or year and a half have been full of disappointment full of disillusionment, full of heartbreak with all that we've lost over the last couple of years. And it leaves us wondering, does God even care? I mean, how many of you have, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, you've asked, does God even care? And maybe you've asked, what difference does faith in Jesus make in my disappointment that I'm feeling? And this afternoon from John chapter 11, we're going to look at how Jesus approaches those who are disappointed. And we're going to consider what that means for us today. And so if you've got your Bible, John chapter 11, it begins like this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus 
of Bethany, which was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So here's the setup of the story. You have three, four main characters, right? Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all close friends of Jesus. It says here that Jesus loved them. He loved them. And Lazarus is very, very sick in Bethany, which is, about, which is right outside of Jerusalem. Jesus, we know from chapter 10, is right across the Jordan River, just beyond the Jordan River where he was baptized. So if we kind of look at our Bible atlas, he's probably about 20 to 40 miles away. So it's a day's journey. And they send, Jesus, they send a messenger to Jesus, and Jesus, the messenger gets to Jesus and says, hey, Lazarus is very, very, very sick. And meanwhile, Martha and Mary are waiting. They say, okay, we sent a messenger to Jesus. And, you know, think about it. They've seen Jesus heal strangers. And so they're thinking, of course, just find Jesus, tell him Lazarus is sick, Jesus loves Lazarus, Lazarus will be healed. Seems simple, but the story has a few twists in it just like our lives have when we experience disappointment. And what Jesus says after this messenger arrives frames the whole story. In verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at this, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And verse 6 blows my mind. So, listen to this. Jesus loved them, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed across the Jordan for two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't make any sense, does it? That makes no sense. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved this man who was dying, so he just stuck it out for two more days where he was. He loved his friends, so he waited two more days while they were in pain and while one of them was dying. He loved them, so he waited. Why would he wait? That makes no sense. What in the world is Jesus doing here? What is he waiting for? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? God, what are you waiting for? Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, hey guys, let us go to Judea again. Now look at verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now Jesus' disciples, God bless them, they're learning, okay? But they say they're not very smart here. They say in verse 12, they say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be fine. He'll recover. Uh, why do we got to travel 20, 40 miles if Jesus is just sleeping? If you're just going to go wake him up, somebody else can do that. See, they didn't get what Jesus was saying. Verse 13, it says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant Lazarus was just taking a rest and sleep. And then verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Guys, Lazarus has died. Verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus has to spell it out for these disciples. He's like, guys, uh, it's a metaphor. When I said he's sleeping, I meant he was dead. He's not mostly dead, like Miracle Max would say, if you're Prince's bride friend, anyone. Uh, he, this, this isn't Wesley, who's mostly dead. This is Lazarus. He's fully dead. Verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, uh, he found that Lazarus had already been, pay attention to this, in the tomb for four 
days. Jesus, or Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus had been dead for four whole days. This is actually very significant. There's something significant about the fourth day. Jewish belief at this time, and we read this in rabbinic literature of that time, they believed that the soul would actually hover over the body for three days. And then on the fourth day, that is when the soul would depart from the body and go into paradise. And remember, Jesus waited two days. So Jesus intentionally waits until all hope was gone. He has waited to the point when people think, it's the fourth day. Lazarus' soul is no longer a part of his body. All that is inside that tomb is just skin and bones. Lazarus is gone. He's gone. No more hope. It's all gone. And if you skip down to verse 21, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God, where were you? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. It's the same thing Ted Turner said. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened, Ted Turner said. So he gave up faith. C.S. Lewis, after his wife died, said this. He said, look, when you go to God when your need is desperate, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of a bolting and double bolting on the inside. Anybody ever been there? Just, you're like, God, where were you? I came to you and all I felt like was a door was slammed in my face. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died, she said. That's disappointment. But Martha says, clinging to her faith. In verse 22, she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's almost as if Martha's saying, yeah, 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 I know he's going to rise on the last day. We know all that. I've got good theology. But what about today? He's dead now. You guys know, um, have you ever been just in a really difficult time? You're going through a really painful season, and somebody who means well says, hey, hang in there. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And you're like, not right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's true, all things work together for good, but sometimes you're in so much pain, you're like, I don't want to hear that right now. I just want somebody to just, I just want you to shoot me straight. And it's frustrating. I imagine Martha felt a sense of some of that frustration here in this moment. She says, yeah, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says, he will rise again on the last day. And she's like, yeah, I know we will rise on the last day. I know all that. I was taught that in Sunday school. But where were you today? That's when I needed you. I don't want to hear about all the spiritual stuff right now. I just want to know why you didn't save him. I want to know why I'm hurting right now, she says. And Jesus says in verse 25, he says, no, 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 you're not hearing me, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
In 32, verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus, it says, Jesus wept. You know, we often think of Jesus as kind of stoic. He knows the end. For, he, like, he knows the end of the story. He would never weep with us. I mean, he, uh, but he weeps. And if you study the Hebrew, it's, it's actually, I mean, our, our English translation kind of undersells it a little bit. It's more like he burst into tears or he sobbed. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. I love this. Kind of like humor in the middle of this really serious story. Martha's pointing out the obvious. Uh, Jesus, if you roll away that stone, he's been dead for four days. It's going to smell. Listen, he was my brother. He smelled really bad when he was alive. He's been dead for four years. You don't want to roll away that tomb. You didn't want to open his bedroom door when he was alive. You definitely don't want to roll away that tomb. If you have the King James, anybody read the King James Version, you know what it says? He stinketh. True story. Check it, look it up. It's awesome. You roll away that, see, you, see, you begin to see what they thought of Lazarus at this point. They said there's no hope anymore. I mean, he's dead, dead, dead. He stinks. There's nothing inside there but odor. But verse 40, it says, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And I want you to notice something. Verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved after he weeped. The word should actually be translated as deeply angered. Jesus was angry. In the original language, this was a word used for when animals were snorting with anger. So imagine Lower Manhattan, the charging bull, you know, the snorting anger of a bull that's getting ready to charge. Jesus is snorting through his nostrils like an animal. He's angry. And what's he angry at? He's angry at death, just like you and I are. He's angry that this world is broken. He's angry that these women who he loved are grieved. He's angry that this friend whom he loved has died. He is ticked off with the brokenness of the world. And he's ready to do something about it. I mean, have you ever been just angry that the world is broken and messed up? Have you ever been angry at injustice? Have you ever been angry that you lost someone? Have you ever been angry that an accident took someone away from you? Or have you ever been angry that some tragedy happened in your life? Coronavirus, death, disease, Jesus gets angry about it too. Isn't that comforting to know? Jesus gets ticked off about the brokenness of the world just like you and I do. He is deeply moved by it and he weeps with us. And at this moment, I want you to imagine the scene. Everybody's looking around. They're like, Jesus just said, roll away the stone. What's about to happen? Jesus is looking into the very eyes of death, and he's ready to prove that he has authority over it. 
and that he is greater and that he is the resurrection and he is the life. In verse 41 it says, So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes to the heavens and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. You know, we always picture Jesus like he just does miracles like, you know, like he just doesn't care. Jesus cries out with a loud voice. All of his frustration with death, all of his sorrow for everyone who grieves and hurts because of the sting of death, all kind of culminates in this moment where he screams and says, Lazarus, come forth. One scholar says that the reason Jesus uses the, the proper name of Lazarus is because if Jesus had not said Lazarus when he said come forth, every tomb in Jerusalem would have opened up and given up their dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come on out. In verse 44, the man who had died came out. Jesus gives new life to a dead man. And here's what I want you to see this afternoon. Lazarus was dead. Mary and Martha were disappointed. But Jesus is greater than death, and he's greater than our disappointment. And so you've got three people, three experiences, and Jesus encounters them in three unique ways. And I hope that by the end of this afternoon, you will see that Jesus wants to encounter you and speak to you in your disappointment as well. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Jesus is with us in our disappointment. And we see this in his uh, interaction with Mary. One of the things I love about the wisdom of Jesus, and particularly the Gospel of John, is earlier in the Gospel of John, you may remember this, it says that Jesus knew what was in every person. He knows everyone. He knows what's in our hearts, and we're all different. Every one of us has a different soul, has a different heart, has different longings, has different desires, and Jesus knows what is in there. He put it there. And because of that, Jesus speaks to us in all these different ways. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen Jesus approach people differently. Sometimes he's very, very tender. Think about the woman at the well. And sometimes he's kind of tough and to the point. Think about Nicodemus. Sometimes he can be pretty mean. Think, I mean, if, when somebody's uh, causing injustice, think about the way he interacts with the Pharisees. Jesus always knew exactly how to minister and how to speak to every person he encountered. And in this story, he does the exact same thing. You may have noticed that Martha and Mary both express their disappointment with Jesus in the exact same way. They both say the exact same thing when they get to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds to each of them in two completely different ways. Let's look at Mary first. How does he respond to Mary? It says that he saw her weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he wept with her. See, we all know this, that sometimes when we are in pain, when we're disappointed, sometimes we need answers, but other times we just need someone to be quiet and weep with us, don't we? Uh, I've been married for nearly 13 years now, and uh, I've learned the hard way that my wife doesn't always want my advice. That was, that's hard. That, that took a long time. I mean, it's, that, it, it, I, I have to learn this all the time. She doesn't want my advice or my answers all the time. She wants my empathy and my presence. She doesn't need me to solve the problem most days. She just wants me to agree with her that there is a problem. When she comes home and she says, this happened at work and this happened at work and this happened with the kids and it, our son got sick and I had to take off work and go get him and this and this and this has been an awful day and this woman said this thing to me at work and I'm just, ah. 
She doesn't need me to say, hey, babe, you know, what you should do is da 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 No, she doesn't want any of that. What she needs in those moments often is for me to just affirm her and say, hey, that stinks, or hey, that stinketh. You know what I mean? Sometimes girl talk needs to just be girl listen. You know what I mean? I heard that from a TV show. That's I stole it. But this is true not just in marriage but in ministry. I've learned that it's not always my job as a pastor to solve everybody's problem. It's often my job to just sit with people and listen and weep with them. And Jesus knew this as well. And he doesn't defend himself. She says, Jesus, where were you? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't tell Mary, look, Mary, it's going to be okay. Just have some patience, pay attention, all right? He just weeps with her. There's a lesson to be learned here. Jesus knew the end of the story. He knew that her pain was only going to last for a couple more minutes. But it grieved him to see her in pain, and he wept with her. Listen, if you're a parent of a teenager, you know that there's going to come a day, ninth grade, that girl or that guy breaks up with them, and they come in, and they're just heartbroken. And you, in your gut, you're like, you're going to get over it. Like, you're going to get over it. It's ninth grade. But as a parent, it still breaks your heart, doesn't it? To see them hurting. You just weep with them. Jesus weeps with Mary. Even when Jesus knows the pain is only temporary, it breaks his heart when he sees his children in pain. Often we Christians, sometimes we focus on the spiritual life and neglect the physical life. We think everything is about your soul and about eternity, and we neglect the physical and the present. This is why we say things to people when they're in pain. We say, hey, just have faith. You know, all things are possible, and, you know, all things work together for good. It's because we're focusing on the spiritual, but we're not paying attention to the physical in these moments. Jesus will show us with Mary that he does not, that not only does he care deeply about your eternity, but he also cares about your present. And he cares about the pain that you're experiencing at this moment, and that's why he weeps with Mary. Jesus wept with Mary because he cared for her. He knew how her story was going to end, but it still broke his heart to see her crying. Jesus wept. And so whatever you're going through, you need to know that when you weep, Jesus is weeping with you. He's weeping with you. Second thing we see this afternoon is that Jesus overcomes our disappointment. He's not just there sitting with us in our disappointment, but he overcomes it. Martha, on the other hand, she didn't, she wasn't like Mary. She didn't need Jesus to weep with her. She didn't need his presence. She didn't need his empathy. She needed him to explain what he was doing. And sometimes we get there and we're like, we, God, you, I need you to show me what's going on. And she says, look, why did Lazarus die? I need you to tell me, Jesus, don't be silent. I will not let you go until you explain this to me. And so Jesus approaches her. He gives her an answer. And he points her to something that had yet to happen. He said, look, Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He tells Martha, Martha, I am doing something. There's more to this story that you can see or understand. You have to trust me. And we need to know this too, don't we? In our pain, sometimes... We need assurance that God is in control of our lives. And He is. The Word assures, the Scriptures assure us that God is with us, but He's also in control of our lives. 
If Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, if there can be purpose in Martha's pain, there can be purpose in ours. We may not see it or understand it just yet, but he is the resurrection and he is the life. We can have hope. We may not understand it, but we can trust that the Apostle Paul was right when he said, for our light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, some of you know my story. I'm not going to get into it now, but there have been some afflictions in my life, and they don't feel temporary. It feels like I've got to walk with them and walk with them and walk with them, and I look into the future, and I'm going to be walking with them for quite some time. But Paul says our afflictions are light and momentary in comparison to the weight of glory that awaits us. That's the truth we all need right now is that even though our pain and our disappointment today is very real, and for some of us, it's going to last a lifetime. God is still sovereign, He is still good, and Jesus is still true to His Word. He is the resurrection, and He is the life, and He can do something powerful even in our pain. See, Jesus told Martha what was going to happen. He told her how the story ended, and it gave her comfort. But He has... He's already told us what's going to happen in our lives as well. He's told us how our story ends. He's the resurrection and he's the life. That is what awaits us. Resurrection. Pain, death, disappointment. It's only temporary if we believe God at his word. He brings to life that which is dead. And the question for you and me this afternoon is, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that there is coming a day where the dead will rise and we will see Jesus, the King of glory, face to face in all of his splendor? And do we really believe that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and that he will give us a shout of joy that overwhelms our cries of despair? It's much like the pain of childbirth, what Jesus is doing in our lives. Childbirth is excruciatingly painful. I've I've seen a couple of them. It's painful, but when it's over, the pain, all the pain is swallowed up in the glory of the newborn child. And for Mary, the pain of losing her brother, even though it was really painful in that moment, it was swallowed up by the joy of seeing him walk out of that tomb. And all of life's disappointments, all of them that we experience, if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection in the life, they will be swallowed up in the glory of Christ when we see him face to face in all of his glory. You see, Jesus overcame, overcomes, and will overcome our disappointment because he's the resurrection and he is the life. And there is a resurrection that awaits you and me and all who believe in Jesus. So Jesus is with us in our disappointment, but he overcomes our disappointment. But then finally, you need to know that Jesus gives life. He gives a new life, and we see this in Lazarus. All of this might seem theoretical and perhaps even distant for you this morning. Okay, Jesus is the resurrection. I want you to consider Lazarus. Even though he never utters a word in this story, his his story is the most profound. Perhaps you can relate to Lazarus today. You may feel today like you're walking around without a purpose. You're walking around without hope. You're walking around without joy. And without life, Lazarus is proof that nothing in your life is final. Nothing in your past has to define you forever. Nothing that has happened must mark you forever. Lazarus was dead, 
His life was over. It was defined. It was labeled. The tombstone was in the ground. It had been four days. He stunk. He was decomposing. It was over for him. He was dead. And everyone around him feared that if that stone was rolled away, the only thing that would come out of that tomb would be the stench of a dead man. But Jesus commands them to roll that stone away, and he calls Lazarus to come forth. And, when, and he came out with new life at Jesus' word. And perhaps you're here this afternoon, you feel like your life is falling apart, and if the stone of your life was rolled away and people could see inside, if they could see your heart, you think that people would be repulsed by the smell. But Jesus is saying to you, come forth. Nothing is final. I give new life. Your mistakes, your past, your shame, your experiences, they don't have to define you. You may feel like your life is over and the tomb is sealed, but Jesus speaks a better word over your life and says, come forth, be born again. How can we know that Jesus offers us new life? How can we know that the story of Lazarus can be our story? Because Jesus gave his life for ours. You know, you would think if you read this story, and I encourage you to open your Bibles maybe this afternoon and read the entire narrative, you'd think that raising Lazarus from the dead, that Lazarus walks out of the tomb and that's the end of the story. But that's not even the climax of the story. It, that actually happens after this event. That's when the story really heats up. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, immediately after Lazarus walks out of the tomb, it says that the religious leaders all gathered around and verse 53 says, so from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. See, this whole story, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, dead and that triggers the religious leaders to, form a, to get a gathering together, and they say, hey, we've got to stop this guy, Jesus. We're going to kill him. And I want you to see that because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders set out to kill him. So in a very real sense, by raising Lazarus, Jesus was putting his own life down. Jesus knew that by bringing Lazarus out of the tomb, he was essentially sealing his death warrant because he knew that they were out to execute him after this moment. In other words, Jesus knew that in order to bring life to his friend, he would have to die in his place. And likewise, for you and I to experience eternal life, that is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. He willingly died in our place. He died our death so that we could have life. In John 11, Jesus showcases his power over death by raising Lazarus. But in John chapter 20, Jesus claims final authority over death by raising himself and then inviting all who follow him, saying that you will have new life and you'll never have to taste the sting of death. Jesus goes face to face with our greatest enemy, which is death, the very thing that stands between us and God, and he walks out victorious. And he enters into that tomb that tomb in Jerusalem, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, we just sang about it. He went into that tomb, and three days later, he stepped out and walked out in victory. And he said, come forth, all who want new life. Come through me. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus died in our place, defeated our death, and gives us new life. Because he lives, sin has lost its power, and death has lost its sting. <clears throat> I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story <clears throat> of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. 
And God, we, we've been all three of these characters. We've been disappointed with you. God, we may, be, we may feel like our life is over. We may feel completely dead right now. But God, you sit with us in our disappointment. You overcome our disappointment. But more importantly, God, you give us brand new life. And so God, I pray that you would give us the courage to believe that and the power to walk in that. And it's in your name we pray.